Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast, the podcast that will teach you to take your Shopify store and turn it into an automated sales machine with the latest marketing, email, sales, and social media advice, strategies, and tips from experts without the fluff. Your host, Caroline Balinska, the founder of JustAskParker.com, the only small marketing task agency for Shopify owners. With over 10 years experience in marketing, manufacturing, design, and e-commerce, she shares her knowledge and interviews the experts to help you in your journey to success. Now, here's your host, Caroline Balinska. Hi everyone, just a quick note, head over to winningwithshopify.com slash summit and sign up for the free summit. It is everything to do with influencer marketing, all aspects of it from every single different angle you can imagine. There are over 18 guest speakers all talking about different aspects, including affiliate marketing and influencers and platforms that can be used, different social media and everything in between, legal as well. So everything is covered. Don't miss it. It is free to sign up now. It is at winningwithshopify.com slash summit. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. It's Caroline Blinska and today I have a great guest that I've been wanting to get on for quite some time. He does a lot of stuff with Shopify and is a serial entrepreneur, so we definitely love those guests on the show. I've got Anton Crawley on the call and he has got over 10 years experience building online businesses including Dropship Lifestyle and E-Commerce Lifestyle. I am sure that all my listeners have heard of Anton before because he's definitely been around for quite a long time, giving us a lot of advice about dropshipping. He's been voted the best e-commerce course by Shopify in 2018, and he's empowered more than 10,000 students in 25 countries to find freedom through entrepreneurship. So let's welcome Anton because we can't wait to get started to ask some questions. So Anton, hi, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. Wonderful. Great to have you here. How about you tell us a little bit more about yourself, something that I haven't told everyone yet? Sure. Yeah. So e-commerce has been a passion of mine, kind of the thing that I'm more excited about more than anything that I sell or anything that I teach, just the process of building stores. Got started with my first one back in 2007 after I read the book, The 4-Hour Workweek, gave me a little brief intro on the fact that people could build Yahoo stores at the time for 29 bucks a month, introduced me to Google AdWords. And basically I thought, you know what, let me, uh, let me give this e-commerce thing a go. And within a few weeks, it already had changed my life. And since then, it's just been pedal to the metal, learning as much as I can, growing as much as I can, and always trying to improve. Fantastic. So how many stores do you have of your own at the moment? We have four of our own right now. Fantastic. That's great. It's a lot of work that you're putting in there and then helping other people. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I can just imagine how much work you're putting in. Not probably getting much sleep, but you're going on a nice little trip. In the- well, I a, yeah. <laughs> and I have a great team, so that helps too. Um, don't do it all myself. And honestly, four is not much at all compared to the early days when I was building probably three to five new ones every month. But uh, yeah, we have uh, about 15 people on our team and it makes the whole process a lot easier. And yeah, like you mentioned, we're, uh, we're all taking a little break next week, flying out to, uh, to Bali for our fifth annual retreat for our company. Fantastic. But that's a retreat that you take staff on or the um, people that come along to your courses? 
Yeah, so it's both. So it's pretty cool. What we do is we make it available, the, the option to go for people that are part of our online programs, but then the whole team get, kind of gets it as like a perk of being part of the company, you know, fly you out to wherever we're going, obviously get the hotel. And it's not a traditional conference where you sit in a room for eight hours a day. We basically do four hours in the morning where I'm teaching something new or someone else is teaching something new. Then the afternoons are excursions, you know, going out. This year we're doing like whitewater rafting. Uh, we're obviously going to the monkey forest, the coffee plantations, all things like that. So it's like a workcation. Fantastic. So the thing is, because Shopify has voted you the best e-commerce course in 2018, I can imagine that everything that you're going to tell us today is going to help a lot of people that are listening. And I can tell you that the people that I work with myself in Just Ask Parker or people that I work with personally, a lot of people have this ideal image of dropshipping and they really think of dropshipping as, hey, I just set up a website and all this money is going to start rolling in. So let's talk about dropshipping a bit more. And first, let's talk about your opinion on that of what people sort of imagine dropshipping to be and what it actually is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anybody that's you know been in e-commerce long enough probably remembers the, what it really means and what it really is. And it's just simply a method of order fulfillment. So a way that you get products to your customers without having to warehouse them, without having to you know rent a fulfillment center. Uh, with dropshipping, you're basically selling other people's stuff. So you collect a sale on your website as the retailer, and then another person or a company fulfills that order. So that being said, again, very broad term. There's a lot of different business models that can kind of meet that criteria. Some people think that dropshipping means buying something on Amazon and selling it for more money on eBay. Some people think it means using AliExpress.com and shipping products direct from China to your customers all around the world. Some people do what I do, which is work with established brands that look for retailers like us to sell their products. And the truth is all three of those businesses are dropshipping. Because again, it's just a very high level term. That's a way to fulfill orders that come through to your website. So the way we do it again is working with the actual brands. Fantastic. So you talk a lot about high ticket drop shipping. I know a lot of people are out there trying to sell one and $2 items, but you're going for that more high ticket end. Can you tell us what you mean by that? Sure. So yeah, I'm into high ticket, everything we do in business. And for me, that means average order value of a thousand dollars or more. And the reason that we focus on products and honestly, my other businesses, services that are in that price range is because when I was first getting my start back in 2007, that first store I built, I was actually selling cookies. So I was selling cookies from a bakery in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, shipping them all over the country. And I was selling these products for $10, $15, $20. And uh, you know, it was good. I was making money, but my profit per order was like maybe five bucks, maybe 10 bucks if it was a big order. And then I just thought one day, like, if I could do this, why can't I sell products that cost, at that time, I was thinking a few hundred bucks. So I tried that and it worked. And then I kind of worked my way up and up and up. And I found about $1,000 in that range to be the sweet spot for where I can afford to spend a good amount of money on traffic to acquire customers. So I'm a huge fan of paid traffic. I can have a team in place that can assist me to make sure customers are happy, to make sure they're being responded to, to make sure things ship on time, to make sure our marketing efforts are you know the best of the best. And uh, it's just very hard to be able to run a business like that profitably when you're making a few bucks per order. Uh, it just comes really down to how many customers you have to serve. And if you're making $3 an order and you want to make any type of real 
income. You just need thousands and thousands and thousands of customers coming through your business every day or every week. And, you know, as everybody that runs e-commerce stores knows, you're going to have customer inquiries. You're going to have stuff lost in transit. You're going to have returns. You're going to have questions. And the support team for an operation like that is never anything that I wanted to uh, have a part of. That's just not what we want out of our businesses. Okay. So it's sounding very interesting and I'm sure that a lot of people will be asking what sort of products are you talking about when you talk about high ticket over a thousand dollars? So right now, you know, we're recording this podcast. I'm at a stand-up desk. So that's something that would fit into that range. Um, we've done things like commercial restaurant equipment. You could do things, you know, like surfboards. That's an example I give chandeliers. There's just basically anything that so price is one criteria we look for. Another one is something that's uh, where, where customers have no brand loyalty. So like, I'm at my desk right now. So I'm just going to give examples from here. Stand-up desk. When I bought this, I didn't care what company made it. I just knew I wanted a stand-up desk. So that's a good example of a product. I also have my MacBook Pro here. That's an expensive product, but I would never try to sell it or drop ship it because when people want a computer, they know they want a Mac. I'm not going to get approved to sell for Apple. And even if I did, I'm not going to compete with them and Best Buy and all the other monsters in the world. Um, I also have here in my office a TV mount, like a big mount on the wall. Again, when I bought that, I didn't care what company it came from. So that would meet the criteria. I have some art hanging on the wall. Again, I bought it because I wanted a big map that was in a nice frame. It's expensive, not a thousand bucks, but you know, probably a few hundred. Didn't care who it came from. So things like that, things that uh, are expensive, but people don't have a go-to brand in their head already just like set, like I'm going to get this. Okay. That's great. So that's a really good way of looking at it, of saying something that's high ticket, but also not something that people will be looking at the actual brand loyalty. So mm-hmm. you know, if we're going after things that are Gucci, cause I know a lot of people listening think they, they go for that glamour. Yeah. People, it's like you said, the MacBook, you don't, you know, that's a glamorous side of it. Oh, I want to say that I'm selling Gucci and I'm selling Mac, but you're saying don't think on that sort of terms, think on the terms of what people are actually going to Uh, where you'll get more success. Exactly. Because companies like Gucci and companies like Apple, I mean, they, you know, they have companies that are spending hundreds of millions of dollars marketing their stuff. They're spending it themselves. And it's no, it's not reasonable at all to think that, you know, anybody as a startup, let's say Shopify store owner is going to first of all, get approved and then somehow make even the smallest dent in that market. So um, yeah, you want something where someone's going to go online. And again, let's say someone's listening to this and they're like, oh, you know what? I actually want a stand-up desk. I've been thinking about looking into them. And then they go on Google and they type in stand-up desk. Then that's kind of where you want to start catching people. And uh, not when someone's looking for, you know, Mac, like we talked about earlier, actually off this call, but you don't want someone that's on Google looking for MacBook Air 2018 because you're not going to be affording that keyword or getting the sales on your own site for it. Yeah, fantastic. So tell me a little bit about, um, I know that you talk about not selling on Amazon, but Mm -hmm. what about competition and selling on Amazon or do you recommend not selling on Amazon at all? And what are your competitors in that market? So with the type of brands that we work for, and I'll just keep using that, that stand-up desk example, if, if I wanted to sell these and I went on Google and let's just say I could find, I don't know, 20 different companies in the United States, because that's where I'm based, that manufacture these things, chances are if I reached out to all of those 20 companies, those stand-up desk brands, and I said, hey, I'm Anton from Anton Stand-Up Desks and I want to sell your stuff, when they sent me the paperwork to get approved to sell their products, I would say 18 out of those 20, they're be a policy that said you can't sell these on eBay or on Amazon. So that's not like even in, it's really a non-issue. Like even if I wanted to, I'm not allowed to. And the reason is, is because most of these companies, they want 
basically retailers, again, like us, that are going to add extra value to their company. So that are going to bring in traffic from different sources, that are going to run different types of ads, that are going to you know, just somehow get customers to buy from different channels. So that's not an issue. And then as far as competition uh, on in other stores selling for the same brands, yep, we definitely have that. As a general rule of thumb, we try to sell products where there's less than 10 different brands advertising them on Google product listing ads, on Google Shopping, because that's our highest converting source of traffic. And the way that we check that is just when we're doing our research, pull up google.com, click on shopping, search for specific products in the industry that we want to go into, and then see how many stores are selling it. Great advice. So anyone listening, I think that that's a little gem piece of advice that you've just given Anton saying to go after items that there's less than 10 selling on Google shopping. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, people who are listening to that needs to stand up and take notice of this because what I do notice a lot of the time is that a lot of these people think I'm just going to start drop shipping. They start looking at the list of items that they can drop ship and they go, Oh, look, that's had 10,000 sales. I'm going to use that one in my store. Whereas You're talking about the exact opposite thing of going, don't go after how many they've already sold, go after what's actually out there on the market. Right. And like, so one huge opportunity for people to, to win in that really want to do this. Uh, I'll just take an example, like, um, let's say outdoor furniture. Someone's listening to this. They say they're looking around their house. They see they have a new outdoor furniture set and they're thinking, you know what? I should build a Shopify store and I should drop ship that. Now, if you just go online and search for something as generic as outdoor furniture, you're probably going to find, I don't know, 150 different online retailers that are selling this stuff. So you might think like, oh, there's too much competition. How am I ever going to be able to compete? But for us, where we're looking at competition really is the product level. So let's say you have a hundred different brands that make different outdoor furniture pieces. And every year, those hundred brands release a new spring collection, which is probably true. It's probably more than that. But that means every single year when spring rolls around, if you were selling in that industry, you have the opportunity to get those products first on your website. You have the opportunity to make those product pages on your website the best. You have the opportunity to get sales before anybody else and to position yourself as the company that's going to basically you know, have that market for the next year. So even in the most competitive industries, when you're drop shipping with other people's products with real brands and you're actually going after brand name traffic and product name traffic and SKU number traffic, there's massive opportunity really every day. New products come on the market. Okay. So let's say garden furniture as an example or the stand up desk. Mm-hmm. And then you see that you're doing your research and you find out that it's already selling on eBay. It's selling on Walmart. It's selling on Amazon. How do you then position yourself differently from those platforms if you're selling the same product? Right. So the first thing that I would do is if I was researching, again, we'll go to the stand up desk example. I would go on Google. I would look up, you know, stand up desks as a consumer would. I would go to Google shopping and I would just pull up all the websites I could find. So all the online retailers. And then from there, like kind of the second step in my research is to see if the other stores that are selling them are online only, or if they have warehouses or if they have showrooms. So from there, I'm identifying, I'm basically closing out all the ones that have showrooms that have physical presences. And then I'm looking now at a smaller segment of stores that are online only that sell stand up desks. Now from there, and and this sounds like a lot of work and it's because it is like research is probably the biggest thing that I do. Um, But from there, I'm looking for all of the brands that are being sold on those online only retailers. And let's say I extract 20 different brand names. Now that's really where my competition search starts. And out of those 20, maybe there are 
three of them that are on Amazon that are being sold for you know, MAP, so minimum advertised price. And maybe there's you know, two of them that are being sold for MSRP. And there should be none of them on eBay because most suppliers will never let you sell on eBay. Um, and then after that, I'd look at the ones that are being advertised on Google. And then I see what price points they're being advertised at. And I always look for suppliers that do enforce the policies, the minimum advertised price. And if I find that, if I see that they actually enforce their policies, that the pricing is never going to break below that, then that's you know enough of a signal for me to reach out to those companies myself to get approved and to start competing to get the sales for those products. Fantastic. That is fantastic advice. So I think already in just a couple of minutes, you have given away so many pieces of information that I'm sure that a lot of people have tried to pay a lot of money to get this sort of information from other people. But that's what I love about you, Anton, is that you definitely have all this knowledge in you and it's lovely that you can share it with everyone. Thank you. I want to now ask you about those items do you do anything with the descriptions and the images? Because this is an area that I get really hung up about is that Mm -hmm. people sort of leave everything the same from the wholesaler. So what do you recommend when it comes to the descriptions and the images on these products? Definitely. So once, you know, we got to that point where we decided it's worth our time to get approved and sell for a specific brand, we don't just take their generic CSV file with product names and images and, you know, a few sentences and upload that. Uh, what we do is try to identify, let's just say we get approved for, you know, supplier ABC and supplier ABC has a catalog of 50 different SKUs. Before we even start uploading them, we're going to do research again, just by going to Google and trying to find out of supplier ABC's 50 products, what are the top five or 10? Because 80-20 rule, you know, it's so true with all of our stores, but most of the money is going to be made from a handful of product. Uh, So once we determine what those products are for that supplier, those are the ones that we are going to scour the internet. We're going to ask the suppliers. We're going to look for trade show images, anything we could find to get the biggest collection of the best quality photos from every single angle um, of those products. So that's one big thing we do because again, we're selling expensive stuff. If it was a stand-up desk and someone went to our website and we had one low resolution photo, they're not going to buy that. So Mm -hmm. step one is get the biggest collection of images there is for this thing, put them on our site. Um, who even go as far as asking the suppliers, like if they have any, if they can send, like literally go with a you know iPhone and send us more photos. Um, from there, we definitely put a lot of work into the descriptions, just making sure like if anything is left out. And we just think of this from a consumer point of view, like if they're on our website, you know, what else might they need to know before they buy? So we make sure we add that all in. Uh, another thing that we do that definitely helps is whenever we can, we try to include kind of like a, like a bonus gift or something extra. So if I was selling, let's just say a $1,500 stand-up desk where I knew my potential profit margin was like, let's just say $600 on every sale, maybe I'd be like, okay, what can I give this customer that's going to make them choose me? And maybe that would be uh, like a floor mat to stand on so your feet don't get tired, right? So then we do that. We add those extra things in, like buy from us and we're going to include this in your order. Um, From there, it really is just about making sure that when people ask us questions, if it's not answered on the page, we add it and just continue to optimize. But you know, a lot of our stores have thousands and thousands of SKUs. We definitely don't do that for every, uh, for all of them. But what we're doing again is trying to identify what the best products are and putting our time into optimizing those because it does take time. Okay. So when you talk about giving away that extra, something extra, I do know I was taking a look at your website and you were talking about niches on one of your blog posts Mm -hmm. and 
you talk about um, choosing a niche based on the fact that there's other products you can upsell to. So in that case, if you were giving away some extra product, it would be nice to give away something that they had to repurchase, not just you talk about the stand-up map because mm-hmm. you're talking about the desk. Yep. But in other cases, it would be good to give away a different product because then they come back and buy it again. If Definitely. It's, yeah. Yep. And then for that for, for the first sale, like the things that we usually give away are – honestly, what we try to find are things that we can get for the best price that have the biggest perceived value. So let's just say that stand up at dusk example, if I sold that, maybe I would say, okay, you get this free mat to you know put on the floor in front of it. And then maybe the upsell for that would be a monitor arm or, you know, I don't know, a mouse pad or something like that, but try to include something that has maybe a $20 cost to us where the perceived value is like a hundred bucks and no one else is offering it. So the the person that's comparison shopping, which we know they are, if they're going to buy from us, they definitely know of at least one other store selling the same thing. We want to give them every reason possible to choose us over them. Great advice. And I also noticed that you speak about on your website, choosing niches when it comes to Facebook groups. Can you give us a bit more information about that? Sure. So we build very, very, you know, product specific stores. So again, if I was going to sell stand up desks, that's all I would sell. I'd have a stand up desk store. And what we try to do is basically build stores, not just around products, but around communities that might be interested in it. Uh, it makes it a lot. And we, I should say, we don't do this with every store. This is a, uh, it's something I'm doing now with a new brand I'm building. Um, it's something that takes a lot more time, but it's something that has a much bigger payoff over time. So um, I, I see this two ways. Like some of the stores we build are just simple direct response, Google shopping to the site buy. that's it. That's the process. Uh, the other stores that is kind of what you're talking about with the Facebook groups. These are the stores where people are going to be passionate, maybe not about the actual products that they can add to the cart on our website, but about the, you know, the, the, the hobby or the, so um, I'll give you an example. If you were selling scuba gear, right? Maybe you have your Shopify store on scuba gear, but on your blog, you're posting travel videos of the best places you've ever went diving. You're posting reviews of different places you visited. You have a Facebook group where people aren't talking about your products, but they're talking about scuba diving, what trips they have coming up, asking questions about it. So again, that's not in every store type of thing, but uh, it's something we do when possible. Okay. So I've got another question based on that. Do you believe, are you a believer in choosing to set up a business based on what you're passionate about or just to make money out of it? Uh, just, I, so I don't want to like, just to, just to make money sounds, I don't know, kind of like slimy. And yeah. I'll tell you the products we sell, we're not passionate about the different product types. I, I've built stores in hundreds of different industries over the years and it's never been like, Oh, this, this is my favorite thing. Like if it was, I'd probably have, I don't know, one store because I don't have that many hobbies besides business. So the passion part for me is building a store that delivers the customer something better than anybody else can. Um, playing the game of setting up the site, getting traffic, giving people, again, what they ordered, getting them to come back, getting them to leave reviews, getting them to tell their friends about it. That's the part that I really enjoy. And I think anybody that's going to be successful in the long term, they need to be passionate about the business side more than anything because that's that's what makes the business run. No, I love that because I find that a lot of the time, especially in drop shipping. And I think I, I'm sure you've been in this for a long time. So I think you've really seen this huge change of what drop shipping people coming into drop shipping, how they actually perceive drop shipping businesses to be. 
And I find a lot of those people are not passionate about business. They're just passionate. And that's why I asked you in that sort of way. A lot of people are coming into it just going, I just want to make a lot of money and I don't care about anything else. And I've had to a lot of the times, and I'm sure you've done the same thing based on what you've just said, had to tell people, okay, stop thinking about making all this money. Think about what you're doing to help people. How are you actually going to go through that process? What are you doing to make their lives better? And how can you make your business better? Not just sit back and wait for the money to roll in. Yeah. I, I tell people all the time, like, cause it is, it is a joke. Like, unfortunately this isn't Shopify doing it directly. There's a lot of affiliates of Shopify that are marketing it as, you know, you can make millions of dollars by again, drop shipping from China. Not that there's anything wrong with products from China, but they're basically like these 15 year old kids that are showing you like, Oh, just sell all this stuff. And your account's going to, you know, you're going to make all this money. And it's a joke because those stores are now branded as, you know, burner stores because the goal is not build a business. The goal really is for a lot of these people, like, let's see how many sales I can get in a week and hopefully, you know, whatever, but rent a Lamborghini. And it's like the problem with that, not yeah. only is it not ethical, but you have no chance. Like I, I can't even imagine how many of these people must've lost merchant accounts, must, must just be in like massive debt from chargebacks and refunds. If they ever want to continue in business, they just have to try to always be building a new store, probably under someone else's name. So it's just, it's not business. It's, it's a joke. And I, I do think it's dying down though, compared to where we were last year with people, you know, kind of pumping it up and trying to get into that model. I think a lot of them have either burned all their bridges or consumers have just caught on that there's a lot of scams out there. So they're trying to avoid them as much as possible. No one's letting them hire the Lamborghinis anymore. That's what the problem is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah definitely. I, I got to that point. I'm sure you did that. It was just like, Oh my God, stop listening to these people. They're not telling the truth. No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. So um, you spoke a bit about building communities. What do you think about influencers? I've got my summit coming up in the next couple of days. And so I'm very passionate about influencer marketing. But of course, I'm one of those people I don't believe in that everything works for absolutely everyone. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about influencer marketing with the types of products that you suggest people sell? Yeah, so it's funny. Um, so the way that most people, I think, at least for me, I don't know, when people say influencer marketing now, like what pops into my head is, you know, Instagram models. And I know it's a lot more than that, but uh, we basically have been using influencer marketing one way or another kind of forever. Uh, I realized early on with some of my, my stores that there were a lot of different blogs out there at the time when, you know, 2008, 2009, when blogging was like everything. And I realized there were a lot of them that pretty much had my target market going to them. And um, back then I just started to form relationships and sometimes would write articles for them as guest posts, sometimes would pay for banners in their sidebar, uh, sometimes would just have affiliate relationships. And again, I started back then and we still do that to this day. So I believe any time that your audience is clearly defined enough and that they're actually active in other places already, uh, it definitely makes sense to form a relationship. Again, whether it's kind of a pay per post model or just goodwill model or affiliate relationship, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of money and opportunity to be made there. Fantastic. I completely agree. I've actually got on the um, summit a little intro video talking about how influencer marketing, while the social media influencer marketing is new, but, you know, we talk about influencers back 30 years ago, Michael Jackson, what he wore, everyone wanted to wear what he was wearing. And, you know, influencers have always been around. We've just slightly changed. And like you said, then it went into just blogging and now it's going into Instagram models. But there's definitely lots of different aspects to influencer marketing. Definitely. Fantastic. And I've, I've got, a, I've just have all these questions that keep coming up as you're talking, mm -hmm. because I love what you're saying. It's so interesting. And it's 
definitely very, very helpful for everyone out there. Um, I want to know what you think about audiences. You mentioned um, understanding your audience. How do you go about getting people to understand their audience? Because I get really cranky with people because so many people go, I'm going to sell a stand-up desk. I'm just going to sell it to everyone. My audience is everyone from 18 to 65. I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So the way that I typically start the process, again, it, it helps because we do sell specific types of products on our stores. I don't know how you would ever do this if you were in Amazon, that's just targeting online consumers. But if you do have a specific type of product that appeals to a specific group of people and you want to find out who they are, uh, for me, that process basically starts by going on Facebook and using audience insights. So free tool um, in business.facebook.com and their business manager. And I'll just start by entering what I know. So um, you know, okay, if I want to target people in the United States, I'll type in the United States. And then under interests, let's just say I wanted to build a store that's sold, I don't know, like smoker grills, big barbecue grills. I would go to interests. I would type in home grilling, grilling, all the keywords like that. And then what Audience Insights is going to do is basically show me to the right of where I'm entering this information. It's going to show me who those people are on Facebook. So it might say, you know, there's 70% of them are male and most of them fall in the age range of 24 to 35. And maybe it'll show me that their average education level is, you know, more than most people on Facebook is high school diploma. And most of them live in Colorado. So making this all up, but if that's what I saw there, I would then go to literally a worksheet I have where we enter our customer avatar information and I would say, okay, my person's name is going to be John and he's from Colorado and he's 34 and he finished high school, never went to college. And then it'll even tell me how many, if they're likely to have children. So I'll say he has two children. And then what's cool using that same tool in Facebook, I'll go to page likes and then it will show me what this person, right? This avatar that it's built for me actually likes. So what companies does he follow? What websites does he go to? Uh, and I'll just take all of that information and I'll add it to my, my, my worksheet. And then by the time I finish it, I'll have a very good understanding of who this person is that's coming to my website. Now, obviously it'll vary off that, but if it would be a lot different than me just saying, you know, my, like I'm selling grills. I think my customer is a 65 year old woman. No, now I know, you know, most likely who it is. And then everything that I create can be targeted to that person. Yeah. Fantastic. Great advice. I'm, I'm not surprised that you, you say what you're saying because that's, you know, the angle that I come at it from. But I think that, you know, you, you run a course teaching people this and I'm sure you've seen it millions of times by now of people going, oh, but it's not that important. I, I can skip over that part. But everyone listening needs to understand that's probably what you spoke about before, Anton, is your research is what you take the most time doing and it's the most important part because if you don't have that research part done, then the rest of it's never going to work for you. Right. Yeah. And if you get that part wrong, if you just don't do it, then all the time that you put into you know, writing your perfect about us page or redoing your product descriptions or whatever it is, crafting an email marketing campaign for your follow-up, if it's just generic and you don't put that time into customizing it to who your person is, then you're just leaving money on the table. And then you know, maybe a year later, you look back and think like, man, my business really isn't taking off. What a waste of time. And it's like, well, you didn't do the work up front. Do the research and everything else in your business will improve. Yeah, great advice. And what about website tips? So a lot of people, when they're starting out, they set up websites, some of them very beautiful, some of them not so wonderful looking. How does someone go from starting up to getting sales? Because there's a whole area there in between of no reviews, the website doesn't look legitimate. Mm -hmm. What is the process that you get people to walk through 
um, just briefly. So we understand. Right. right. Well, I, I mean, first of all, you know, I, I'm not a fan of those, like these gorgeous themes with all these things moving around and, you know, graphics everywhere. Like I, I, I like simple, the simple is faster, simple converts. So it doesn't have to be the best thing ever, but it does have to look professional and it should be professional from day one. So if you're not confident with it, by the time you're about to start paying for traffic, then my advice would be, you know, take another day. It doesn't have to be perfect, but should be trustworthy from, it should look like a site you could trust. Um, from there, a lot of what we do is really, again, we, we try to keep things as simple as possible. Reviews are like, that's, it's so important. And I stress this all the time. Like when you get your first sale, get a review and just keep it going. Uh, what we'll do before we have any of them, if we're just getting into a new industry, let's say, again, I got approved for supplier ABC for stand-up desks. I would say, I would tell them, I would talk to my sales rep and I would say, you know, reviews really help with our conversion rates. Do you have any reviews or did anyone ever say anything about these products that we can use on our website? And they want us to get sales. So a lot of the time, if they have those assets, they'll just give them to us. They'll say, yeah, you can use these reviews for these products or for our brands. Uh, from there, one of the easy easiest wins, again, this comes from the research part of it, is do your research, see who the top two or three websites that are already selling your thing are, pull them up in different tabs. I put three windows next to each other. I look at their product pages. I look at my product page and I think what is there that's not on my website or what's not on their website that I could add to mine. That's going to get someone to choose me over them. So again, it might be that bonus gift. It might be that we just talk about the shipping time on the product page when they don't to make it clear how fast our customers can get the item. It might be that we have our return policy clearly stated or we have live chat or whatever it is, but we're really looking into our competition to make sure that we are better than them. Because again, people are going to find them. It's just part of the business. Yeah, fantastic. Great advice. I really like that. I like what you say about putting up the three tabs next to each other and looking over them quite clearly. That's something I've never told anyone to do it in that way because I say to people, look at your competitor, look what they're doing and you're not doing it. And mm -hmm. to you and I, it's very obvious, but I like how simplified you make that of actually pull them up and look at them next to each other and you can visually see it straight away. Great yes. advice. And you just mentioned uh, talking about shipping time. Let's talk a little bit about shipping times because I know with drop shipping, sometimes it can take longer than the normal Amazon prime delivery. Mm -hmm. So I know some people that actually say to me, I'm just going to remove any words about shipping altogether. So no one knows anything about the shipping. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. a terrible idea. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we both laugh because we're like yeah. terrible. But can you yeah. just go through and explain that in a little bit more detail? Right. Well, yeah, because for most people, like you said, people are, you know, it's the way it is. They're used to Amazon now. And what is it like a hundred million households in the States have Amazon prime. So mm -hmm. they're used to two days. So if you don't list it and you don't tell people what your shipping time is, then they're probably going to assume maybe, maybe they'll assume a week. And that's like being, you know, that's hopeful. They'll probably going to assume they're going to have it within a few days or tomorrow. And then they're going to email you. And like I mentioned earlier, you know, you're going to, your customer service is just going to be a nightmare. So uh, what we do is we actually have a, a custom widget that's on all of our Shopify stores that shows estimated delivery date. So instead of just saying, you know, normally ships in two to three days, we'll have estimated date of arrival between you know, November 5th and 7th. And uh, that's based on the supplier and based on how long we know our suppliers take to ship. And and it's really not that long because again, what we do is work with domestic suppliers. So our products that we sell in the States are already in the States. So suppliers, typically if you place an order before noon, we'll ship it same day, if not next day. So it's not, you know, maybe, maybe five to seven days, like long time for deliveries for our stuff. 
Okay, fantastic. So what do you think, based on what you just said about most of your suppliers are in the US, what do you think about selling worldwide compared to selling just in the US? Yeah, a lot of the stuff that we sell, since it is more expensive, just by nature, a lot of it is big, a lot of it is heavy, and shipping prices, it's just, it's, it doesn't make sense to even try. Um, it would basically be the same price of a lot of products we sell to ship them to other countries. So we do sell to Canada, but then, you know, with Dropship Lifestyle, for example, 30% of our member base is actually from Australia and they do business in Australia. So same model, same everything, but they work with suppliers there. So I, I believe that, you know, you could do this anywhere, but shipping from country to country typically just is not cost effective. Great advice. I tell people to try to concentrate on their own country first in that way of, you know, I've got a client that's doing coffee out of the UK and it's their own brand. And I said, just stick to that at the moment. Don't worry about the other countries at the moment. Just stick to that because... Once you start thinking about the other countries, all that shipping drama comes into it as well. Yeah, yeah. And that's so true with anything. People that are a lot of times just getting started and finding some success, they, they want to do everything at once. Uh, for, for me, what I deal with a lot when I'm talking to my students is, you know, we, we preach Google ads because that by far has just been our best traffic source, again, for a decade now. And then people will be like, oh, okay, I'm doing, you know, 20,000 a month in sales. I'm going to try to get into Facebook now for direct response. And it's like, you're only at like 20,000 is great, good accomplishment, but you don't realize that there's, you know, another 100 or 200,000 a month waiting for you there. Like keep, keep going with what's working working until you're totally sure that it's tapped out, then start adding in these other elements to your business or else everything is just going to be small. Yeah. Great advice. Everyone wants to jump the gun and go too far ahead. And yeah, sometimes it's about baby steps and you'll get mm -hmm. there. You'll get more success in the long run. Yes. So you mentioned Google ads. That was going to be my next question to you. Tell us about traffic, how to get traffic and where to find it. So you're saying Google ads. Can you tell us a bit mm -hmm. more about that? Right. So we definitely focus on other channels as well. But again, Google ads has always been the most reliable. Um, I'm sure because Google is where people go to search for everything. And uh, the, our favorite type of ad on Google, the one that we always start with, are just you know, traditional Google product listing ads where you show up in Google shopping. The reason they're so effective is because when people see them, they're seeing the image of your product, they're seeing the price, they're seeing the store name, it might even say free shipping on it. So by the time they click that, like that's a very, very qualified person. And that's opposed as to even regular search text ads on Google, where it might say, you know, stand up desks for sale, $1,000, click here. Um, instead, the product listing ads, that really is a person that knows what they want. And when they click it, it's a very qualified click. So if you get your targeting set up right there, you can do very well. Okay. And so what do you think about reviews when it comes to the Google shopping ads? Yeah, I think again, like the more reviews, the better. It definitely it makes sense to, to make that a, a priority. Um, I don't think it's a deal breaker because we've got plenty of sales on products where we have no reviews, but you should definitely have a really good post-purchase automation sequence in place on your store. So every time you get a sale, you're asking for reviews in a number of different ways and you're asking multiple times. And uh, as a starting point, again, I would recommend asking your suppliers if they could provide you with any that they have on file, but you definitely want to be actively uh, seeking and soliciting reviews. And what do you think about image reviews, like uh, reviews that you ask someone to include a photo? Do you work much with that? We do. So it depends on the product type, but for most of our stores, the first thing that we actually ask for, the first review type, is for them to send in a photo with their product. Uh, from there, we also do ask for a text review. And then on some of our stores, we also ask for a little video review. Okay, fantastic. And so Google being your number one source of traffic, 
Um, okay, I've got a question actually before I ask the next one. This is just one of those random questions that people um, are still wondering about sometimes. Do you run anything on Bing or other search yep. platforms? Yeah, yeah, we do. We, yeah, uh, you know, Bing, it's crazy. It's 25% of search traffic in the States right now. So it doesn't make up that portion of our sales, but basically everything we do on Google, we just transfer over to, to Bing as well. And it's, uh, yeah, it's profitable. Fantastic. It's still there. I can't believe it after all these I years. Know, I know. <laughs> so you mentioned about Google ads and running ads on Google. What would be, so if someone comes along and they want to start up a dropshipping business, or maybe they've started something and they're listening to you and they realize, hang on a second, I need to change my whole model. What would be the amount of money you'd expect them to need to spend on Google ads to get started? Yeah. So I'll tell you what we do even like, so Obviously, once once things are profitable, we just continue scaling till they're not. And for me, that means I'm willing to spend up to 10% of my product price. So if I'm selling a $1,000 item, I'm willing to spend up up to $100 to get that sale. And if I could do that nonstop all day, I'll do that. But at first, when we launch any new store, we typically start about $30 a day. And uh, the reason we do that is because typically, on average, with a new campaign, you're going to see a cost per click about a dollar, and that's before you're, you're using negative keywords and before you're building different like layered campaigns. So that, that'll get us you know, 30 clicks a day. It'll get us probably you know, 500 impressions a day, somewhere around there. And from there we scale up. So what's, what's 30 bucks a day times maybe a thousand dollars a month to start. Okay. Fantastic. So you have given a lot of amazing advice in such a short amount of time. I'm completely, completely blown away with what you've told us all and it's all for free. So thank you so much. What is some final advice that you would give people if they wanted to start up a dropshipping business? Sure. So yeah, don't ever, I guess something we didn't talk about much, but don't ever go online and Google something like dropship suppliers or dropship products, and then go sign up with one of these directories that charges like a monthly or yearly fee because they're nothing more than middlemen. They have no pricing controls on their products and it's really a race to the bottom in terms of pricing. So don't do that. If you want to do it, find quality products from quality brands, reach out to those brands directly and become an authorized retailer to sell their stuff. In my opinion, that's the only way to dropship profitably. So you mean like AliExpress? Is that what you mean by that? Um, AliExpress is a little bit different because, you know, you're selling uh, just direct from different manufacturers. I'm talking about websites like Doba, Salehu, Worldwide Brands. Uh, definitely not a fan of any of them. I've signed up for all of them just to see what they're all about. And basically they give you access to say, okay, now you could sell a million products we have in our catalog. And then those products are basically things that are marked up already that are often cheaper on eBay or Amazon. So not the way you want to do your supplier research. And do you find that the products on there are never the same products as you end up working with the same companies? So I've honestly never even tried to sell them. I just signed up because I got so many questions about them yeah. from, from different people on Dropship Lifestyle. So I was like, let me see what it's all about. I, I do think that you would have access to the actual products. But the problem is, again, like they, the, the way they make money is by charging you money as a subscription and then by marking up the products that they form relationships to sell. So let's just say they did have a category for stand-up desks. Maybe they're going to charge you $67 a month to have access to their products, which – 
you should never pay to get approved with anybody. And then from there, maybe they're going to say, okay, your wholesale cost of this desk is $800. But in reality, what you should do is contact that desk company directly, get approved with them because there is no monthly fee and your actual price is probably you know, 400 bucks. So those companies that call themselves you know, drop shippers or drop ship directories, they make their money by marking things up as a middleman and by charging subscription fees. And again, I don't think it's possible to make money with companies like that at all. Mm, oh, I think you'd know. You definitely have got a lot of insight into this industry. So we take your advice seriously. After all of that, I know that you still have so much that you can share and we probably haven't even scratched the surface at the moment. You do have a course that you offer, don't you, that you go through all of this information and more? Yes. Yep. Dropship Lifestyle. Can you tell us all a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So that's uh yeah that's the uh, the course that you know basically just shares literally everything that we do myself and my team whenever we build a new store. So going through the process step by step of how we pick products, how we do market research, how we build websites on Shopify, how we optimize them, what you know kind of apps we use, how we automate them, uh, how we optimize our websites for conversions, and then of course how we get traffic. So Google Ads is number one, but we do put a lot of time into again you know call it influencer marketing or referral marketing. That's a big part of what we do and what I share as well as, of course, Bing, uh, search engine optimization, and uh, yeah, everything that we do to keep people coming to our store and coming back. So a lot of remarketing. And then finally, talk about automation and a lot of the tools and again, apps that we use to kind of take as much of the, the human interaction part of the business out of it so that you could focus on big picture stuff and not need massive teams if you only want one or two stores. Love it. So Anton, where can people find that course? Uh, dropshiplifestyle.com. Fantastic. So everyone who's listening, I think that if you're serious about dropshipping, then thanks Anton's for listening to the winning with Shopify podcast. Join the Facebook All group, of that technical stuff. He definitely knows his stuff. Groups, Anton, thank you so much for being here. I love and it. It's been fantastic. And I hope you have a wonderful time in Bali. I'm sure you will. And you definitely so you never miss an episode. And as a listener, get 20% off at justaskparker.com. Wonderful. Thanks everyone for listening. And until next time, keep smiling. 